Hi, you're listening to We Make Media. In this episode, I speak with Viv Evans, author of The Emoji Code, The Linguistics Behind Smiley Faces and Scaredy Cats. He answers all my burning questions about emoji in the context of media literacy education and linguistics. Viv is an internationally renowned expert on language and digital communication, as well as communications technologist and consultant. He has published 14 books on language, meaning, mind, and digital communication. His writing has been featured in the New York Post, The Guardian, Newsweek, New Scientist, and Psychology Today, among others. I've asked him to talk with me today about his argument for why emoji is making us better communicators, as well as the role they play in social and emotional intelligence, and where emoji fits in to a long history of visual linguistics and literacy. Hi, Viv. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm very excited. Emoji is a favorite subject of mine. So in my work in schools and community centers, I use emoji in a number of different ways. And uh, sometimes we just use it as an evaluation tool um, to provide feedback. And sometimes we actually make them ourselves. And sometimes we we make kind of other uh, telecommunications um, artifacts such as gifts um, and uh, digital stickers and other. And again and again, I run into the same kind of negative attitudes and assumptions within media literacy education that you write about encountering um, in linguistics uh, circles. Before we get into more specifics about what emoji can or cannot do for speakers, can you tell listeners a bit uh, about your larger argument in the book about why these critics are really missing the mark in terms of understanding the value uh, that emoji brings to, to communicators. Absolutely. So I think the the, uh, the central point is that most people assume that language is the move from the shaker in terms of our uh, everyday world of meaning. So if you're reading a novel or a cookery menu, for example, then you've got the written word, and clearly that's important in terms of conveying meaning. If you're listening to a public lecture, then you've got spoken language, which clearly is, is providing uh, the the majority of the meaning. But communication in everyday social encounters is interactional. And face-to-face interaction uh, requires emotional resonance in order to establish empathy. Empathy is the, uh, the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And in face-to-face communication, it turns out that language itself is not very good at conveying emotion, up to, on some estimates, 70%, 70% of this kind of emotional resonance that really drives face-to-face spoken interaction on a daily basis uh, comes from nonverbal communication, nonverbal cues. And by that, I mean two types. The first type is things like uh, face, facial uh, expression, eye gaze, gesture and so on, when you move your arms, you point, you gesticulate and so on. That type of expression, nonverbal communication, is known as technically kinesics. The second is prosody. That's the the sort of the undulating tone of voice that we produce when we're speaking. Now, these two types of um, nonverbal communication, nonverbal cues, if you like, they actually add meaning and are central to imbuing our interactions with emotional resonance, which drives effective communication. Let me just give you a couple of examples of this. So imagine you're at a, a dinner party, perhaps, and your host offers you a glass of wine. And you say, yes, please, I'd like a glass of wine. And then what you do to signal how much wine you want is you make a gesture with your forefinger and your thumb to show that you want a particular amount, less or more. Now, Mm. that gesture is conveying meaning, direct meaning, that's not there in the words. If you're at a train station or an airport cafe, 
um, and you want a croissant, you ask the server for the, for the croissant, but then you notice one has burnt edges, so you point to the other one next to it without the burnt edges. edges. Now, that pointing gesture mm. is conveying meaning not there in the words. Now, in terms of pitch contour, prosody, let me give you an example of how we can actually change the literal meanings of the words with our pitch contour. So if I give a, a, just a, a sort of a, a hackneyed everyday example, mm. if, I, if I were to say someone, I, I wanted to de uh, declare love, I might say, I love you. Now, I can do this in one of two ways. I can have the sort of the normal falling pitch contour, a statement or a declaration, I love you perhaps down on bended knee. And what that's telling somebody is that you're declaring your undying love. But if you said to someone with a rising pitch contour, as if it's a question, I love you, that's an ironic counterblast, best not said to your nearest if you indeed wish to keep them as your dearest. <laughs> so in that example, the pitch contour, whether it's a sort of a statement or question-like, changes the meaning of the words. Mm. Now, in the same way, by analogy, Emoji plays the same kind of role mm. uh, in digital communication as gestures and pitch contours. So if you add a sad face or a tears of joy face to a particular statement, that changes what you're signaling or, or how you're asking your interlocutor, the person you're addressing, to respond. So if I were to say to my wife, I sent her an SMS, for example, and I, she was at work or something, and I banged my head on the kitchen cupboard, and I, and I say, honey, I tripped and, and banged my head on the cupboard, to signal to her how I want her to respond to that, I could either add the sad face, in which case I'm looking for a bit of sympathy and tender loving care, <laughs> or if I send the tears of joy face at the end of, the, of that uh, little um, text, then what I'm doing is saying, I'm such a buffoon, look what an idiot I am, look what I've done again, and then she responds with laughter or something. Mm. What we know is from research that uh, around 70% of emoji usage um, conveys emotion in digital communication contexts. So it's, it's playing this very important role that is sort of paralleling what we do in everyday uh, interactions when we communicate with people and we use language. But in addition, we have this, all, this other rich meaning that comes from gesture, body language, uh, eye gaze and so on, tone of voice, that is otherwise missing um, when we use uh, digital text. And that's what emoji does. Yeah, it was so interesting in this in the uh, in your book you cited this study by Match.com about those on dating apps and they were more likely to to um, I'm not I'm sure if it was also to successfully get a date, but definitely it was said uh, they were more they were more likely to have uh, uh, sex and and to have sexual pleasure if they were emoji users. It's just fascinating. Is is emoji is, is therefore as gestural as it is visual? I mean, you write about it like how it can stand, you know, in the way of a nodded head and, and some of the ways that you just described. But uh, is it as much an extension of our physical expression then as a, as a linguistics one, as a linguistic one? And, you know, yeah, what do we find? Um, yeah, how that might differ with now that we're disconnected from our bodies, <laughs> now that we're communicating without our bodies these days. That's an excellent question. Just before I answer it, can I just mm -hmm. go, if, I, if you don't mind, I'm just going to go back to the you, the reference you made to Match.com and the yes, uh, please. Uh, the uh, the singles. It's the singles in America study. It was the first one that uh, Match.com did. Match.com obviously is the, is the huge North American dating site. And every year they do what they call a singles in America survey that's run by a psychologist from uh, Rutgers University in the US. 
And 2015 was the first year they included um, questions in their questionnaire to uh, their participants about emoji. And what they found was that there's a strong correlation between, first of all, getting it, as you mentioned, first of all, getting a, a date. And then secondly, the, uh, the chances of having uh, a, a more intimate experience subsequent to the date, so having a sexual encounter, if someone used emoji. And the point is, it's not that, you know, if, if only perhaps, if you send out emojis, you go on more dates. That's not what it's about. It's not a question of, of causation. It's a question mm. of cor correlation in the sense that people who are using emojis are um, establishing better emotional resonance in the uh, the people they're interacting with, which is analogous mm. to what we're doing when you, you know, you have a nice tone of voice or you smile or you and so on. You engage nicely in your interpersonal demeanor with somebody in a face to face interaction as if you are on actually on a physical date. Perhaps this is especially relevance, uh, relevant in, in times of lockdown and so on during the pandemic. Mm. Um, so. What this demonstrates is that emojis fulfilling in digital uh, situations and communication this very important and crucial role in establishing rapport with someone, uh, which we achieve using other means than language in face-to-face -face spoken interaction. Um, and, and that's quite powerful, I think. Well, in terms of this particular uh, 2015 study run by Match.com, what they did was they balanced the, the survey participants um, so that it was it would match the demographics of, right. of the US. So, you know, it was uh, the, uh, the, the data setting included 5,600 singles, equally balanced mm. across men and women to, to reflect the census data in different ethnic and socioeconomic groups and so on. And what they found was that 54% were regular emoji users and they uh, reported regular sex following dates, the 31% who didn't use emojis had less regular sex. Um, so it was matched. You're asking about uh, gestural versus visual. Shall I uh, respond to that? Mm -hmm. I think you were asking is um, emoji as much gestural as it is visual and is uh, emoji a physical expression as much as it is a, a linguistic expression. I think it's impo important for your listeners to, to point out there's a difference between gesture, emoji, and also linguistic expression or language. So first of all, just to sort of iron out the differences, gesture is visible body action. Um, mm. And we often use gesture intentionally um, and it has an iconic basis. Now, what I mean by iconic is that the meaning associated with the gesture often can resemble a thing that it's representing. So, for instance, if you want, you're, call, you're gesturing to someone across a crowded room and you want them to call you, and what you might do is put your hand up to your ear with your little finger against your mouth and your thumb up against your ear. And that is a, a gestured a signal conveying, call me. Of course, if you're a 10 year old today, you don't do that. You don't even know what that gesture means. What you have to do is put your flat hand against your ear. So Generation Z don't recognize these kinds of gestures. Um, writing mm. in the air to signal to the waiter to bring mm. the bill, the check, no, these kids today don't, uh, don't get these mm. kinds of gestures. So gestures are actually changing. Uh, as a result of uh, mm. technology changing. Mm. Anyway, gestures are, are often iconic in the sense that they resemble the thing that they're depicting. Um, and examples, another example would be the thumbs up gesture, which comes in fact from 
uh, west uh, from uh, ancient Rome, and it was the, used by the by Caesar to say whether the the fallen gladiator should live or die. So thumb up or thumb down. Mm. And of course, we use it in the Western world, at least, uh, as a positive uh, symbol. Uh, not to be used uh, probably in Western Africa because it's actually there an insult. Um, it's similar to showing mm. somebody the finger. So a tip of a, a word of warning to listeners. Okay. <laughs> uh, language is different from gesture in the sense that it's typically not iconic in the, in the way that I've just described. So if you take a word like cat in English, the sound doesn't resemble the entity. So if you want to describe a cat in, for example, Hindi, then you have to say Billy. So there's no resemblance between the, the symbol cat versus Billy and the thing, the entity that you're trying to convey in the way that there is a physical resemblance between the, that, that, the hand gesture you use to signal you want someone to call you. Now, emo right. emoji is not a language, so it's not uh, symbolic in the way that language is in, in two kinds of ways. The first way is that semantically, in terms of the meanings it conveys, it's limited up front. So you can uh, yeah, use emoji to convey a shark or a unicorn or peace with a dove, little dove. Or you can even these days uh, use a peach to then say, let's impeach Donald Trump. Um, mm. But you can't use an emoji to convey more abstract ideas like feminism mm -hmm. or iconoclast. And that's because uh, emojis are like gestures in the sense that they're grounded in iconicity. The symbol looks like the thing it, it represents. The symbol for shark or the smiley face represents the thing it's, it's conveying. Um, so in that sense, gesture and, 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 and emoji are, are similar and emoji is quite different from language. But you can kind of use it. But of course, it's context, right? It's in, in you can you can use it to play with language or make, you know, what would be a, uh, what is a visual pun, but also what would be a play uh, on the image that would only make sense, perhaps within a very small group, like a friend and an inside joke, or, and most certainly uh, within a same linguistics pool where the joke, you know, wouldn't work across, across uh, uh, mother tongues, you know, across, across languages, right? Um Sure, ab absolutely. So, so uh, one of the factors uh, that that um, Unicode, who has oversight of of emojis, there's an 18 month vetting process. Uh, no one, you can't just sort of create your own emoji. It's uh, this consortium, Unicode, based in California in the US, uh, is in charge of uh, the, setting the standard. Uh, one of the factors they look for is the um, the ability for an emoji to be used in multiple ways, such as a visual metaphor. So the shark emoji, for example, can represent a shark, presumably. It can also represent a huckster. Some professionals, least favorite for, for some of us, might be bankers or lawyers. And then you can metaphorically use a, a, a shark emoji to refer to a lawyer, if you're so minded. And that, that would be a visual metaphor, mm. uh, a way of extending the use of emoji um, from its core meaning. Right, uh, which is quite interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. But you have to have that base linguistic, you know, common common linguistic uh, for that to to work. You no, know? I found it. I did a, a kind of a quiz or a study or a, an activity with some young people in grade nine and twenty 
2016. So there was about a 14 year old and we looked at stickers and emojis and some of them were singular and some of them were in sentence and some of them were repeated. And yeah, it was very interesting where they deviated or where they kind of, where you could see their little group friends. Um, and some stuff was just pop culture that was way under my radar um, where they were like, yeah, this means this. And, and, you know, almost like Cockney or something. It was like, you know, it was like that little cat who wears that little monocle. It was a sticker um, on a, on a skateboard. And it was like, I'm out of here. But then it was some expression that was referring to somebody who had left some Korean pop band. Um, and, you know, like everybody got it. Yeah, it, uh, it was just absolutely fascinating for me. Um, also, another fascination is w- watching my daughter who loves to use emoji across uh, language barrier and across age barrier. So her French family and, and her family in Peru, her Spanish speaking family, she can't quite communicate with as much as she'd like, but she can send them uh, or use these silly uh, emojis and she loves it. I know from studying linguistics that, of course, they, they look a lot at children's acquisition of, of native languages. And you've already mentioned that it is not a language. But is there anything there, like anecdotally, or is there anything there to observe about the way that children use it? Um that is like a primer for how you know the in the way that literacy works like that's like a builder is it built upon or does it completely shift at some point and it just uh has a different meaning when our relationship with, with language is is much more developed now I mean, this, this is a, a very interesting and a hot topic actually that i mean first the first thing to say is that um Emoji is a, is a system of communication that's based on uh, the visual modality. And it's important uh, and, and so successful because, and precisely because, um, in humans, the visual mo- mode is dominant. So just to give you some, a couple of facts and figures, two-thirds of uh, our brain activity relates to vision, incredibly. 40% of our brain uh, nerve fibers are connected to the ret- retina. And for a human adult, it takes just 100 milliseconds, or a fraction, fraction, fraction of a second, to recognize an object. Now, in children, especially preliterate children, they recognize emotions. And remember that 70% roughly of emoji usage is used to convey emotion, despite all these funky ones, the dancing woman in red dress and the dancing man and all the rest of them. 70% is focused on emotional expression. Children recognize emotions long before they can talk about them. So just to give you a a couple more facts and figures for your listeners, babies from around four months can recognize emotions in images. You show a baby an image and it it recognizes. Developmental psychologists can figure it out from, uh, they have various techniques to figure out how the babies are doing this uh, or, or the babies are doing this. At five months, babies recognize emotions in prosody. So if you speak to them, they can tell the emotional valence, whether someone's happy or sad from their pitch contours. From 18 months, children can use emotion displays in uh, faces of others, uh, of their human, uh, their adult caregivers to infer preferences. But it's not until, get this, not until two years of age that children start to be able to use emotion words like happy, sad, and angry. So the point is that Visual communication systems can enhance the ability not only of children, young children and preliterate children to better express themselves. They, there's also evidence that they can uh, facilitate, facilitate the acquisition of language if you use uh, a visual communication system. Now, a good example of this in the UK, for instance, is so-called baby sign. Um, now, this is a, a rudimentary system where... 
uh, parents accompany ch uh, children to creches and, and kindergartens and so on, and they sing and sign at the same time. So they use a very sort of a simplistic system of, of signing. It's not a fully fledged sign language. It's it's quite rudimentary, and it the uh, the, the data and the uh, evidence we have uh, suggests that this. Uh, enhances the ability of children to acquire language more rapidly and more effectively. And it also helps with um, the tantrum issues that, that young children, you know, toddlers and preliterates have, because if they can better express themselves emotionally, then they're less likely to get het up because they're misunderstood by the adults around them. That's amazing. And so this presents them kind of another option then to, for kind of pre-literate pre or pre, pre-verbal Absolutely. way of, of communicating by kind of recognizing and pointing to it or or interacting with uh, using emoji as a proxy. Yeah, um, I mean, actually, there are projects that have actually developed bespoke emojis. There's what's called an emotes project, uh, which is a European uh, web-based project that provides educators, educational professionals with a set of bespoke emojis that can be used with um, preteens to help children better learn to express control and convey their emotional responses. There's also a, an NGO, a Swedish N NGO called BRIS, which is, works with um, uh, vulnerable children from unfortunately abused backgrounds. And what this organization has done is again designed um, bespoke emojis to help children self-diagnose and work with clinicians to diagnose and, and express the kind of uh, the types of abuse perhaps that they've uh, been subjected to for children who are too young perhaps to under fully understand what's been happening to them, but they can use these bespoke emojis to, to better express themselves. So there are a number of ways in which emoji now is being used um, in these sorts of ways. Um, for, for a range of very positive um, solutions to complex issues, I think. And and who uses emoji the most? Like, is is there someone from the studies, like that certain demographic or gender or, or geographical? Well, what we know is there are three point two today. There are three point two billion people in the world who have regular inter internet access. The world has a population, of course, of seven and a half billion. So that's well over forty percent of the world world's population has regular internet access. Uh, and in the, the, tech, uh, the tech developed world, 2 billion smartphones exist. There are 2 billion people with smartphones today. Uh, today, over 90, 92% of the 3.2 billion people who use the internet now send emojis. Now, this is a cha change from f around five years ago. So the research that I was doing five years ago that I, uh, I was commissioned to do by a a London-based uh, telecommunications company, what I found then back in 2015 is that uh, the over 40s, in this was based on a UK data set, but it's probably comparable to, to North America and other parts of Western Europe, uh, I would guess, over 40s were being left behind in 2015. But 2000, 2015 was also the year when Emoji really went mainstream. So for example, uh, at the end of 2015, Oxford University Press Dictionaries, which is the, some argue, is the world's leading arbiter of English language usage, anointed, shock horror, that an emoji, the, uh, the emoji, the, the smiling face with tears of joy, would represent the word of the year. Uh, this caused outrage and headlines across the world uh, for some of the reasons you mentioned at the, at the, top, of the, at the top of the show. 
Uh, so people were very insulted by this, especially some serious and elderly academics. But today what we're seeing uh, in 2020-21 is that the, the over 40s have really caught up. So I would say there are different ways. You alluded to this in, at an earlier point. You would talk about uh, some of the younger uh, kids that you work with um, are using emojis in ways that are under the radar for you. There are Emoji gets used in different ways by different subcultures and across different cultural groups. So, for example, the, uh, the woman holding the hand up in the air as if she's holding a tray in North American and Western European contexts, that's often used to denote someone being sassy. But in a Japanese context, this is someone who is uh, uh, working at an information desk. It's, that was the original rationale for that particular symbol. And it, and it still has that meaning in a Japanese context. Of course, the eggplant is a, is a, is a common favourite. We can wheel out the aubergine or the eggplant to show how in certain subcultures, in sexting, for example, that has a particular connotation because of its, its shape to a particular part of the male anatomy, and it has a particular meaning, which is different from the original meaning, which is actually just an eggplant. Some have, have, have labelled it the rudest fruit in town. Although, of course, an eggplant, yeah, not strictly a fruit, I guess. That's so interesting. I mean, it's it's amazing how powerful those kinds of institutions are in terms of normalizing, you know. Um, no, no doubt that's one of the reasons why it's gone up. I mean, not only was it brought onto people's radar because of the conversation, but it becomes you know, less stigmatized in terms of representing that you're an illiterate hack who, has, who can't come up with a word, right? Uh, one of the ones that I find fascinating is the, um, is the, what is so commonly used now as thank you, the hands together, which is kind of like a, <clears throat> like um, the way that communicators will take something and decide how it'll be used. If you put in please or you put in thank you, you'll see the same thing, right? You'll see that those because it looks like a pleading hand. But now this has become, uh, yeah, I've, I found myself since since the 10 months inside uh, um, and having video chats and stuff with folks that I've found myself using it uh, a lot more as just everything. As thank you, as hello, like physically, right? Like physically holding my hands together and kind of making this uh, this gesture, which of course is historically uh, East Asian, Japanese, and which is, you know, kind of connected to emoji. So um, I, I keep thinking about that. I mean, this this is a good example of cultural leakage. So the, the original gesture, it was one of, one of the original Japanese emojis. And of course, in Japan, putting your hands together is a symbol of of thanks, but not necessarily one we, we're used to in, in Western culture, North American and European culture, I guess. But it's it's sort of uh, taken on the mantle of this kind of uh, notion which we, we've borrowed. And so there's emoji is actually a conduit for cultural exchange, which is quite interesting, I think. It's a great observation. And, and so from what you've observed from the pandemic, is there anything that's emoji that, you know, emoji has been used more than ever before or or is there any kind of like buzz in the what's the what are the what are folks saying in the emoji research world about how the pandemic has affected uh, people's relationship? I, I think, again, this is a really good question. Uh, one what I'd say in response to that is my favorite is the coronavirus uh, compound emoji. Mm. So this is when we use the crown emoji with the microbe emoji. And this actually started in the Spanish-speaking community. So, of course, in Spanish, corona is the, is the Spanish word for crown. 
And this has been combined with the microbe emojis, you put a crown emoji and a microbe emoji together to stand for coronavirus. And this has now moved <laughs> into the English speaking world. So people now happily use it. There are so many instances of this now. And this actually takes a, a, a longstanding principle known as the Rebus principle, which has been in evidence in human history for over five and a half thousand years. This is a principle uh, that enabled the early, world's earliest uh, writing systems to become established, including Egyptian hieroglyphs. And it's basically this idea. It's that if you want to create a new representation of something abstract, and coronavirus is pretty abstract, isn't it? It's not something you can see. Uh, it's an invisible enemy, so to speak. Mm. What, you, what you do is if you want to describe something abstract, and remember I said that emoji is iconic, it's based on physical concrete things, which is why it's similar in certain respects to gesture. What you do is you take a symbol for something concrete that sounds like the abstract thing you want to represent. So mm. crown or corona in Spanish the crown emoji sounds like Corona. So you combine it with a micro emoji and hey, presto, you have a new uh, uh, emoji for coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And that is an example of what, what linguists call the rebus principle, which is how uh, writing systems first developed and extended from the concrete meanings to, to more abstract things. Hmm. And this, is, this, of course, is sound symbolism at work. Uh, and this is the way iconic systems like emoji develop. So that is a good example of something that's cropped up in the in the pandemic, caused directly by the pandemic, and people wanting to use emoji to to symbolise. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to do a study about, yeah, it's particularly about right now, and in terms of um, extending compassion, or just yeah, just it, just how how it relates to uh, emotional emotional communication, emotional health. Yeah, indeed. And the cover of the the book of the Emoji Code, you show a bit of a timeline of the evolution of emoji uh, in the context of the history of glyphs and symbols and infographics um, back from 3500 BCE to, to 1998 when emoji was, was created. Can you give us a like, quick overview of, uh, of that historical evolution in terms of like what is and what isn't uh, an ancestor of emoji? Sure, absolutely. Um, I was just talking about the Rebus principle. This was a principle that uh, was evident in er the world's earliest writing systems developed by the Sumerians and the Egyptians uh, five and a half thousand years ago. And this was a mechanism uh, that they used to extend the the toolkit, if you like, of their writing systems prior to an alphabetic system in the Roman, Greco-Roman period, which then became dominant, at least in uh, uh, the Americas and, um, and Europe. So there are principles like that that you see in the, in the use of an extension and evolution and development and so on of emoji. But technically, the ancestral elements of emoji uh, relate to two things. Emoji was invented in Japan for a very specific reason and for a new technological need uh, in the late 1990s. So in the late 1990s, the leading um, telephone uh, operator in Japan was developing, was working on the world's first, uh, the world's earliest commercial mobile internet with, with early smartphones. And the, uh, the lead uh, software developer, uh, engineer, 
was a, a, a certain Mr. Kurita, and he and his team were trying to figure out, given the, uh, the problematic ways that the display operated, which wasn't as sophisticated as the, the kind of smartphones that we have now, how you convey the different kinds of information that was necessary to be conveyed using this early uh, mobile internet system. So what they came up with to support text was using images, pictures, uh, which became known as emoji. And emoji is basically two Japanese words that means picture character. So what they did was they developed, they'd drawn two sources. The first source were infographics. Infographics are the kind of signs that you see in airports to denote the, 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 the male and female WCs or an escalator or a travelator or a car park and so on. Those kinds of you know, the kind of signs that, that I'm referring to. Those were developed in the 1920s and 1930s mm -hmm. uh, by a, a Viennese couple in Vienna um, and then further developed. They had to, unfortunately, they were, they were Jewish and they had to leave um, prior to the, the 1938 period of National Socialism in, in Austria and they moved to, to the UK and, and the infographics were then further developed. Hmm. They were introduced into Japan in the 1964 Tokyo Olympics when there was an influx of uh, foreign visitors for the Olympics during the 60s with the advent of uh, relatively cheap from that period on mass travel with uh, airplanes and so on. Prior to that point, Japanese uh, public signage was, was primarily in Japanese. So info, infographics were introduced at that point. So Mr. Kurita and his team drew on infographics and they also drew on a technique in Japanese manga cartoons um, called manpu. And these are the little symbols above characters' heads that designate their emotional inner uh, turmoil or expression. And they put those two things together and they created 176 emojis, mm. which actually now the original representation hangs in the uh, modern art museum in New York City funnily enough, hmm. next to Picasso and Pizarro and, and so on, which is quite interesting. So now this is actually considered art, talking about art. There are 176 of them. They look quite different from the emojis that we, we, we know and love now, but that was the where they came from and that was the, the direct input. Emojis are different to emoticons. So emoticons are the, um, the emotional icons in the pre-internet or pre-mobile internet age uh, which we use in, or still some of us uh, sometimes use in email, and that's where you have the little smiley face on the side, you know, the the colon and the uh, open closed parenthesis to signals, and for some older people a nose as well. Mm -hmm. But they be developed quickly to become noseless. These kind of icons, um, and those started. I'd forgotten about the nose one. Yeah, that's right. You show your age. If you use a nosed uh, <laughs> sideways thing in an email, they're smiling, mm -hmm. and you're really showing you're, you're over 50, so uh, <laughs> you're giving things away. So uh, they, Those started in 1982 at Carnegie Mellon in a, um, an electronic bulletin board, um, Carnegie Mellon University, mm. and that was the first documented emoticon, but those aren't strictly an ancestor. Um, there, there are principles that govern how Emoticons have the same sort of principles that are behind um, writing systems, how those have developed. There's only a sort of a finite set of uh, principles that, that humans have come up with to, to invent these different systems of visual representation. So in terms of punctuation, for instance, in terms of writing systems, emoticons, 
and now of course infographics and then uh, emojis but it's it's emojis quite a distinct um, invention that was created for a particular technological need uh, that arose with mobile internet and smartphone development but that's so fascinating so it's yeah it's it's, it's connected to something really deep and, and longer and older than i had thought that the you know, the whole colon, semicolon thing was just because it's now connected to emoji through through uh, through technology that they were a broke down version of, of the of the same thing. But uh, they're developing at different times. And that also what I heard in there is that it's also kind of connected to that it's connected to sequential to sequential art and comics and um, yeah, storytelling in the visual linguistics sense of um the same cues that uh, kind of parallel grammatical structures like reading left to right or 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 you know action before which of course have changed um over thousands of years of, uh, yeah absolutely but but these the principles are still evident i mean if you look at the bio tapestry the bio tapestry was a tapestry um celebrating the, the invasion of England by uh, William I, William the Conqueror of England in 1066. And Bayeux, which is a, a place in France, there's this famous tapestry where you tell this, where the story is being told with visual depiction of the battle, that, of battle of the famous Battle of Hastings when England was invaded and this uh, foreign invader came across and Harold, who was the would-be English king, was, was killed with a single arrow in the, in the eye. Uh, and there's been... A lot of detailed study about the eye positioning, the facial gestures that have been captured really artfully in this tapestry. And there are parallels, completely independent in the, the whole uh, manga tradition that goes back at least to the 19th century in Japan and beyond and before that, in terms of how emotion is conveyed and the techniques that have been used. And these have also been reinvented, if you like, during the period in the, in the 20th century when cartoons were being developed uh, by Walt Disney and others, uh, trying to realize and more effectively convey, you know, the early versions of Mickey Mouse and some of the older black and white cartoons and how um, that developed later on. There, there is a set of principles that seem to be apparent that we keep kind of reinventing. Emoji has its own particular history. Um, and it is, as I say, it, 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 it was grounded in a particular technological uh, niche, a gap uh, that was required with the mobile internet uh, development. But you can see parallels with these other sorts of things, including the, the older emoticons, which were for a slightly different digital era for the email age prior to the mobile internet. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, it reminds me of what Scott McLeod writes about in Understanding Comics about, um, you know, just uh, simplifying to amplify meaning, right? So that it's not um, every man smiling. It's just a smile. <laughs> you know, it's just happy, not not this person happy, uh, which is kind of interesting in the context of when you get into, um, you know, demands for for different tones of of uh, um, skin tone and for more diversity with it within those that kind of complicates uh, that that issue of, of <clears throat> simplifying to amplify. And what is the proliferation of accessibility? Because now, you know, GIFs and stickers and emojis, you've got a lot of options. Um, and some are more organic search-wise uh, than others. I'm always shocked, actually, that uh, 
I when I work with young people and we talk about gifts and emoji, most of them say that they use emoji way more than gifts. And I use gifts, and then often they're like, "Oh yeah, my mom sends me those things." And then we find ourselves like, "There you are now." Now we've placed ourselves generation wise. Um, but now that you can access all of those things because you could access emoji for quite some time on your keyboard, but uh, but now you can you know search these 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 uh, tenor search. Uh, gif gif uh, libraries and sticker libraries etc like have they expanded the palette uh, or are they are like a separate lexicon used in a kind of multilinguistic linguism of the visual variety yeah I, I mean i think that's right i think it's the latter i think there's uh it's a form of multilingualism if you want to use that kind of term so a gif is just to to iron out exactly what the different things that you're referring to are a gif is a moving or an animated image a sticker is a bespoke emoji. So this is not an official vetted emoji. This is something you have to download from a particular app. So for example, Finland became the world's first country in 2015 when it uh, invented or created some stickers uh, celebrating Finnish culture and landscapes and so on for tourism purposes, which you could then download and use and communicate about uh, Finland. And so that's what a sticker is. A bit emoji is uh, a type of an emoji. So an an emoji is a customized self-image. So each of the different providers has their own version. Bit emoji is the Snapchat version. There's a version provided by Apple and by Samsung and so on. And then a meme is slightly different. It typically tends to be a static image, uh, but it usually makes a top, topical or a pop culture reference. Now, emo- emoji is different to all those things because they, they have um, particular purposes. You might send a gift to someone to celebrate their birthday, a dancing character from a Frozen movie for a, for a child uh, saying happy birthday or something. That would be something you would do for that purpose. A meme would be sent to poke fun at a particular style, making some kind of topical reference. But emoji is basically now part of the alphabet of our digital communication. It sits as an automatic component on the keyboards that we use. Um, It's part of the standard keyboard on the smartphones and the social media platforms we use, including, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and and all the rest. And these provide uh, this provides an international standard that's been approved by Unicode that all these different operating platforms, so social media platforms, as well as the the software operating systems on on our different computing devices make use of. So in a way, uh, emoji is kind of the common denominator. It's part of the alphabet that we use to communicate um, that is in, now used in tandem with our alphabetic keyboard and our numeric com- keyboard. So in a, in a way, it's, it's sort of the basis for, for how we communicate and the other things have particular novel and particular functions that then add to and complement uh, what we do with our digital words and our digital emojis. In a sense, it's the most successful attempt at a universal language. And like, I mean, in the sense that, of course, it's it's got the nuance and context that we were talking about. It's got the ability to kind of be contextualized and therefore provide a specific nuance that outsiders might not might not understand. Um, but in general, uh, it is used by the world round. Uh, I mean, anybody who's using technology, and it is, uh, and it is pretty much the same across the board. Um, I'm not sure what the actual quantitative amount of ac- same across the board is, but it, but it, 
I mean, I use it with people on three different continents. And so far, we seem to use it pretty much the same, <laughs> except for some funny, you know, nuances about the language. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I mean, it's, in terms of quantity and, uh, and how many people use it, it's the most successful system of communication the world has ever seen. Um, it beats English hands down, uh, which is the, the so-called global language. Um, and as you say, you can communicate pretty much a smile is a smile no matter which part of the world you're in, and is instantly recognizable. Um, so these core emotions that we have that are universal to all human beings, we can happily convey using emoji. And as I mentioned a couple of times already, up to around 70% of our daily global emoji usage relates to emotional resonance and, and feelings and so on. So it's a pretty powerful form of communication. And given that we're, we're all com uh, we all make use of uh, visual smarts, or at least most of us do, uh, unless I'm the unfortunate people who are, who are blind or partially sighted, then it really is a, an efficient way of communicating um, all around the world. Well, I definitely want to get, get into some of the emotional, the parts of exactly what you just talked about um, uh, in terms of uh, uh, the emotional intelligence that it, that it might uh, help us develop or reflect about an individual. I'm not sure exactly which, but uh, but also in how they used in, 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 in social media, right? So so the hallmark, you say, you write in the book, the, the hallmark of human smarts is an understanding that others have thoughts, feelings, and wishes like ourselves. Moreover, that we can engage with an attempt to influence the thoughts, feelings, and wishes of others in order to cooperatively achieve shared goals. Um, I think <clears throat> Mark Zuckerberg um, might have skipped the part about cooperatively achieving shared goals. Um, but, uh, you know, Facebook uh, expanded its reactions. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what year. Um, from just the uh, thumbs up uh, to likes, which, I mean, some people kind of intuitively understood, well, if you're liking something, you're basically saying, I want to amplify this. It's not really a like. You might strongly dislike what, what the content is telling, right? Uh, but then they, they changed it to include the angry, sad, um, all of these things, and it had a huge impact uh, on their business models. I mean, it was not arbitrary or just like, let's give you a couple of other options, right? It was for extracting uh, more information and data about social and emotional context of uh, of content consumption and content creation, right? And it's happened, It you know, it, it turns out that it's, you know, it's kind of amplified extreme emotions um, and monetized, almost like weaponized emoji. Um, does this function any differently than, say, weaponizing other words or rhetoric? Or, you know, what do these emojis kind of tell about us? Like, what kind of data can be extracted by from this use of emoji? Where are the, where are the dangers? Um, well, uh, yeah. the place to start is to actually look at the uh, operating model of the business model of uh, an organization like Facebook. And basically, in essence, what Facebook does is it aggregates attention. Uh, and it does this, for example, with the news feed uh, that users have access to, to follow what's going on with their, their friends and so on. And Facebook is predicated on an algorithm that predicts what people want to view based on past behavior, their preferences, the data, and crucially, their reaction emojis. This is one type of data that's harvested to show, you know, what the, um, the particular uh, it provides uh, information on, on uh, a user's valence with respect to uh, 
something, whether it's positive or negative. And that is important and powerful and extremely valuable information for purposes of aggregating attention because ultimately the reason Facebook aggregates our attention is to then sell that attention, if you like, to advertisers. So in terms of the, the point you were making about weaponizing, monetizing, and perhaps even weaponizing, um, is that they're using the, the kind of valence, that the, the positive or the negative emotional uh, resonance that we're expressing towards something that we're looking at in our newsfeed in order to then uh, market that or harvest that in order to monetize it and then sell that attention to the advertisers. So it's a powerful new tool in the Facebook arsenal, if you like, to make something on the face of it appealing and provide a better service ostensibly for the, the users, the subs subscribers to Facebook, but ultimately it's also uh, subserving uh, an enhanced means then of further marketing and generating additional revenue through ad advertising and so on. <laughs> so it's a pretty smart move. Mm, all that's for sure. Mm -hmm. It's a win-win for Facebook. Um, I, I remember at the beginning too, there were some people were saying, just do the likes, don't do that, you know, don't do anything else, just do that. I'm not sure it would change anything at that point or, you know, if, if it's possible to kind of game it um, with just kind of giving it this very neutral emotion or, or, you know, just kind of giving it the old the old use, right? And saying, no, 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 it's just going to be when I want to amplify something. Um, but you eventually, you know, you can't do that any longer because eventually if you if you don't show outrage for something that, that demands outrage in terms of a news piece or whatever and you go thumbs up you know you got you're getting in, in a lot of trouble of potentially uh and you say no it's because i'm using the old metric <laughs> like, i don't think people are gonna, gonna take that you're like no you love nazis no <laughs> um but um also i see it you know there's emoji is, is a great way to get feedback and i've seen i've seen folks use that um you know, like I said, in workshops uh, as a as a easier way of with, and, and in classrooms with um, pre verbal, um, pre literate children to to uh, to get a sense of of how they're feeling or how they're enjoying a particular activity. But we also see it now with like food delivery apps um, and just you know really easy ways to to provide feedback um, in in the urban design and city planning. Um, so for an example, I've seen multiple times in washrooms where you can, um, give a, a sad face, smiley face. Yeah. Or a sad face. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting because of course you could have a staff schedule where you're sending someone there every three hours to, to clean up the thing and nothing might've happened. Whereas this way you get a little bit more relevant feedback of, okay, somebody's angry in the washroom. Like we need to go, we need to go replenish stuff. Um, do you see... You know, I mean, the washroom, the the washroom uh, uh, infograph that you just spoke about early, obviously earlier is, you know, I'm sure to most people, I can't even imagine a world before that, <laughs> like how people knew where the washroom was or if it wasn't just a closet. But do you see uh, this is something we'll see a lot more of in the coming years, like as, you know, city city design kind of a more interactive with citizens or like a potential for kind of a you know a, a system a system citizen dialogue via emoji yes absolutely i mean my favorite one i think is uh, there was a website uh, set up by uh, new york city public radio a few years back and they used emojis to show levels of disruption on new york city subway lines so uh, if there was a line that was heavily disrupted then you might have a sad face or an angry face against that on the website and you could then if if you wanted to travel 
cross town or something, you might then choose a different route with a smiley face. So this public service uh, facility is increasingly, I think, where we are seeing emojis. But it's important to remember that these aren't actually themselves emojis. So something is only an emoji if it's used in a digital keyboard context. What this shows, I think, is that emojis have left the digital landscape and they've jumped so far deeply into the public consciousness that these same smiley faces now can be used for anything. You know, you gave the example of the washroom where perhaps there's a mess in the washroom or something needs replenishing, that you can press the button and, and central control wherever it happens to be, the janitor hub in an airport or something comes and does the replenishing straight away. These, these symbols are, are before us all. We use them all the time. They're so now readily uh, recognizable. And prior to 2015, they really weren't. And so I think from a public service perspective, these are incredibly useful. You know, you, you receive a delivery from someone and then you get an email and they ask you to perhaps to rate it by, by clicking on a, a web form using these kinds of images. So I think that's how deep this has become and how far it's become embedded and central to uh, today's culture that these things are all over the place. And they're in incredibly valuable because it's very easy. It's very... Um, there's, there's no, almost no time commitment required just to give you feedback, which is why it's so useful. But this is a, a, a consequence of the power of and, and the sort of the uh, ubiquity of, of emoji today. It's amazing. Yeah, because I mean, they have such a resonance. Like it just the, just even like I just think of that that scenario you were just talking about and uh, seeing, uh, you know, uh, five faces from from angry to to happy versus one to five. For me, it just it's so much easier to emotionally, you know what I mean, to think about how do I, to check in and go, how do I feel about this right now, about this package, as opposed to go, what could a four mean? Is it a four? It's almost perfect. You know what I mean? Like there's so much more um, kind of translation involved in the numbers uh, situation, or so it would seem. Um, perhaps it's an, an illusion, but it's a, it's an interesting uh, it, it's an interesting it, it, it's thing. A, it's actually not a, an illusion. It's actually a, a consequence of the way our, hmm. our brains are wired. So there's an evolutionary backstory uh, in terms of why humans um, are so so dominantly visual, and this has to do with our evolution moving down from the trees and the, the, the complex three-dimensional arboreal landscape that required vision as the dominant sense other rather than you know other other species have and other organisms have different senses being dominant you know think of bats for example in echolocation and smell being very powerful for dogs and so on with humans it's really visual uh, experience we process visual and visual data extremely rapidly and so if you're trying to communicate visually this is this can often be more effective and quicker because of the connections the way our brains are, are configured than language which has to then be translated actually into the perceptual stuff so we can figure out what the words then mean and that's exactly what you're talking about and and why hmm. you're you, you have this kind of the sense that we all do, I think, that visual stuff, responding in a visual way is somehow more direct and more resonant for us as human beings. Right. And less work. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, it's interesting, too, that you said, because for me, from like a use of emoji place, um, like do people who study emoji only study it in the technical context that you were referring to? Because I wouldn't make that distinction at all. Right. Like to me, emoji, whether it's an emoji sticker right? Um, or an emoji in my text. To me, that's still emoji. You made the distinction that it's not actually technically emoji. 
Um, and I guess I'm just curious about that. Uh, well, yeah. What what is technically emoji is something that is a, just a Unicode. Yeah, which is approved by Unicode, which was set up in 1988 um, to establish a text standard for computational systems. Right. So you know, so that you if you're using a computer in, in Japan versus in Canada or wherever it happens to be, the two different hardware systems and the software, the operating systems can actually communicate. So when you mm -hmm. type something, it looks more or less the same at the other end. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you need this universal standard. Um, and emoji is is now part of the package that Unicode looks after. And right. social media platforms like uh, Twitter, for example, um, or LinkedIn or whatever it happens to be, then they have their own proprietary um, types of emojis in their own that work visually within their own ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So that's why the, across different operating systems, sometimes the emojis look slightly different. However, they all conform to the standard set by uh, Unicode, and that is an emoji. Mm -hmm. When you start doing things these stickers, so the, the Finland example that I mentioned, where Finland, the, the tourism body for, for Finland, put together what looked like emojis, but you have to download them from their own mm -hmm. tourism site of Finland app to be able to use them. That's called a sticker. Right. Yeah. And they take up space and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Those aren't sanctioned by Unicode. And when we start using things in, in uh, on, you know, to talk about the New York City subway system and how disrupted or not or clear the lines are how smooth running they are and we put little faces we're taking emoji representations but that, again that's something other than emoji it's now moved off our keyboard and into the real world where we're using those representations and the point i was making before is because they are now so embedded and so recognizable that is why they've jumped into popular culture and we use them all the time for a whole range of things you know i was caught i I was contacted by a PR company that wanted me to work on a project um, where uh, a tour operator wanted to be, people to be able to book things online, primarily using emoji to make the process simpler. And they were looking at ways of doing this. I worked on another project for a, for a major bank that wanted uh, emojis, bespoke emojis they were designing so the customers could electronically communicate with their advisors digitally um, and it, this was in a UK context where people are um, a bit more reticent about talking for money, uh, talking about money, and often don't ask for money to be paid back if it's a small amount because they're too embarrassed to raise money, uh, money issues verbally using language. But they're, they find it easier somehow to do it if they're communicating via emoji, which is interesting, isn't it? So emoji has jumped into popular con consciousness, and then we're using it in all these different ways that are not strictly speaking emoji, although we, of course, in common parlance, we're still referring to them as, as emoji, and that's fine, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, colloquially, yeah, they're still it's an emoji to me. Um, and, and in the sense that, I mean, I've, I've, I've done mapping projects with young people where we've taken, we've drawn a map of our neighborhood or our community and then, and then kind of added emojis to tell stories about that space, of what space we're scared of and what space we feel safe in. And they certainly don't make the, exactly. you know, like exactly. yeah. the emoji, you're still borrowing on the meaning that has been established within the emoji space that you're talking about in terms of the technical uh, context, but it's, but it's relevant within just a conversation and when you using some actual physical uh, physical stickers uh, now. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to just understand a little bit more of this relationship with emotional or social intelligence, which of course is so incredibly important as our media becomes 
um, so much more social um, and that our relationship um, with technology, of course, as so many of our social um, relationships uh, are currently mediated by technology more so than than 10 months ago, 12 months ago. But also, yeah, this kind of like, what is this dance back and forth, this correlation causation, or, you know, is it is it uh, helping us to become more emotionally uh, uh, and socially intelligent? Or is it the sign of someone who already perhaps uh, has those developed uh, social interactive characteristics or skills, rather? I, I think it's actually both. So um, emoji is filling a gap that is not there or wasn't there in, in uh, digital contexts. We primarily use emoji, of course, an abbreviated short form text-based communication that's digitally based. Uh, prior to the emergence of, of, of emoji, um, it was often the case, I think, that people would have what I refer to as the angry jerk syndrome. So you, you and your, your listeners will know this, Karen, honestly. So you know what I'm talking about as soon as I describe it. So imagine you get an email from someone and it's as if they're shouting at you. It's as if you know, not even they haven't put full caps, but you, you look, it, it reads as if they're shouting. And you have no way, when someone prends the send, send, uh, presses the send button to an email and you receive it in your inbox, you have no way of knowing whether they're venting in a midnight uh, rage uh, or whether they're chilling out on the side of a, a tropical beach somewhere, sipping a martini in, in, a, in a blissed out state. You have no way of knowing. And the problem with digital text on its own is that it strips out the empathy. It strips out the emotion because words are not very good at conveying emotion on their own. And this is where emoji comes in. So imagine going out on a date with someone and they speak in a monotone. They make no eye contact. They never smile. Their, their face is completely static. You would honestly, you'd run a mile. You think, my, my goodness, that's a a, a, a mad axe murder or something. Uh, this is a very odd person. I don't want to hang out with this 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 type at all. <laughs> so using emoji is actually putting back in this emotional expression that is central to human interactional communication. And it's putting it into the digital landscape where it didn't in fact exist before, mm. which is what the attempt was with the precursor, which is the which was the emoticons, you know, the little sideways smile, the the uh, using punctuation marks, so the the colon or the semicolon and the and the open parenthesis to indicate a wink or something or a smile, whether or not you have a nose or not. So uh, that's ir irrelevant. Um, <laughs> so that was an early attempt to do that and to put some of the emotion back in. But of course, in a in uh, in a business context this kind of usage was often frowned upon because you have to be very prim and proper and doing things in a straightforward manner. Mm -hmm. but, but now increasingly people are using emojis in, a, uh, in business context and they can actually um, nuance something. So if you, if you think someone's being a bit, of an, a bit of an ass, you can say it nicely by uh, modulating the, the, what your expression and putting a wink at the end, mm. if someone's just screwed up with their boss and gone in like a bull in a china shop and you want to, this is actually a true story, and you want to respond by gently mocking them, but you don't, it's your boss perhaps, and you don't want to also upset them. And they've confided in you that their own boss has been has, has said that they, they have to be kept an eye on. And you might respond saying, yes, but that's because you're such a smooth operator. And then you put a wink emoji and that nuances it and, and sort of tones it down because you could be per per perceived as, 
as being uh, unduly sarcastic because clearly they weren't a smooth operator. Mm. So you're you're tempering the, uh, the 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 expression, nuancing it in the same way that you would uh, in a face to face interaction. Imagine being able to convey irony without facial expression, because if you unless you've got a, a facial expression to actually explain that you mean the opposite of what your words literally say, people just assume you mean what the words literally say. If I said to someone, I love my job yeah. and I hate it, I can wink at someone or grimace and they know I'm being ironic. How do you do that in a, in a, in a text-based digital context without something like emoji? You can't. And that's why emoji is so important mm. um, in, in this sort now, of do way. we bring it into the... It's a tool that that is helpful in a place that removes um, uh, tone, uh, you know, in these techno, techno, techno spaces that remove tone. Um, do we bring it back in out of the computer and into society because we have lost the relationship with those things? And that's now our only tool that we know when we go, oh, God, I'm out here in the real world and I'm not on, on the Zoom and I need a... Um, I need an emoji to help, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've lost the the ability for the tone. Um, or or is it just that uh, we figure, you know, here's another part of speech. Like, why not? It's just natural. So why not use it here? No, we, we are basically emotional creatures. Humans are, are full of emotion and we connect with other people by virtue of emotion. And it's stripped out of... Uh, of tech and emoji has put the emotion back into tech it's not that we don't have the emotion it we have this new means of communicating with one another you know you can in the old days you if you wanted to communicate with someone you could pick up the phone if i wanted to phone someone in australia or i could send them a letter and it might take a week or two to get there now we can reach our our fans our followers our our, our friends instantly anywhere in the world but prior to something like emoji there wasn't the same um, panoply, the same palette for conveying emotion that we would otherwise need to convey to be effective communicators. Com uh, emotional expression is absolutely central to building and establishing empathy, and that is what drives communication. We do it all the time. Every time we step out of the door, every time we, we interact with our, our family members, our friends, our colleagues, we, we express emotion. We temper it in different ways per the context, but we are essentially using emotion to establish rapport with others, to build professional and social relationships. And it is central to who we are. It's the hallmark in a way of what it means to be human. And without that, in this new um, technological in innovation that we have, we we've now entered a, an era of, of digital communication. You need something like emoji, otherwise you can't communicate properly or effectively. And that's that's really the point. So emotion is putting it back. So that you know the naysayers who say you know emoji is nothing more than an adolescent grunt, they don't understand the first thing about communication, honestly. Mm. And it's and therefore are they less effective communicators? I mean, in the sense that if once it becomes the norm, those who don't use it is then it's then missing tone, right? I mean, if that it, it, like at what point does that make them? so out of step with the communication norms that they become less effective communicators, even if they might be very articulate individuals and know how to use punctuation quite well, <laughs> that, that without that, there just becomes a, a lack of tone once we start getting used to, to that kind of tone. Yeah, I mean, some people have a principled objection and refuse to use emoji and they're less effective as a consequence in the contexts where emoji should be used. 
And mm-hmm. that is, it's as simple as that. So in, we are visual creatures. Uh, in a visual medium where you're using text-based communication, you need to signal um, different sorts of things. So em- emoji is not just used for emotion, I've been emphasizing it, but also, also used for punctuation. Just like, you know, when we're speaking now, we're, we're talking to each other. I know when a sentence is finished and I know mm. when uh, it's my turn to talk and when I have, when you're giving me the floor, not because there's white space and a, and a period or a full stop or whatever, or a comma, but because of the pitch contours. We're communicating orally, and I can hear the the deceleration, the acceleration, um, and there are particular principles that I recognise. Whether or not you know what the principles are, we all recognise them by virtue of being native speakers of whichever language or languages it happens to be that we're native speakers of. So we are punctuating our spoken language in the same way emoji punctuates our digital communication in short, abbreviated form. You know, we're not talking about... Um, writing novels or writing plays where emoji might not be uh, as appropriate. We're talking about abbreviated text-based communication. Although on that note, it is interesting to point out that there is now an emojified OMG, oh my God, Shakespeare range published by Penguin Random House for young people, which again caused outrage when they were published. There's four in the series. They're fantastic. Seriously, Hamlet... YOLO Juliet, Macbeth, right. uh, Killing It, and A Bid Summer Night's Dream, hashtag no filter. Those are the four. <laughs> and these are plays told through characters texting with emojis. They're, they're, they're fun, accessible. They introduce kids to Shakespeare. Why not? Perfect for the classroom. But again, all these old, old serious uh, university professors were... Um, up in arms about this. It caused shocking headlines back in 2015 when they were published. Mm. Uh, But they're absolutely brilliant for young people. Well, yeah, that is such a great tool because we learn so much in the, you know, the medical, like in the actual translation of, you know, then you learn so much about wh- where are you getting the meaning from and where does the, you know, pulling the representation from, et cetera. Um, my last question is just, I, are we moving into a more visually, uh, visual communication um, world because of our, relationship with uh with technology like are, are we and and just with this with the streams and with the you know um so much information we get so much information that has to be uh put into bite-sized bits and visuals and puns and easily digestible stuff is it not uh, a very important part of literacy uh that we understand how to read visuals and 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 certainly visuals that also represent emotions and and convey human ex- emotional experiences the 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 issue of literacy and technology and texting and so on is quite an interesting one there was a huge debate at the turn of the 20, uh, 21st um, century when uh, texting techniques came in so people were using these abbreviated forms in sms messaging services and literary experts got up in arms about all this and said look this is dumbing kids down they won't be able to learn to read and write and then uh, studies then demonstrated that in fact texting in this way these abbreviated words 
actually enhance literacy because you've actually got to know what the words mean to be able to abbreviate them in texted form. Um, and I think it's the, the same point can be made or a similar point can be made here. We are essentially visual creatures. That is our dominant sense. Um, it, there is an evolutionary backstory, which I mentioned earlier, for it, the reasons for it um, in terms of how we've developed. And the technology that we've created makes use of our visual smarts. Facebook is an exemplar of this. I mean, it's a, it's a parade, a paradigm example. So Facebook, if it were a country, um, it would be the most populous in the world. It has 1.9 billion active monthly users. So China um, pales into, into comparison with a, a mere 1.4 billion. And on Facebook, 300 million plus images are uploaded every day. And this re really speaks to the not, not so much that um, there's a new era of being visual, but technology has been invented. This kind of digital uh, communicative system that we uh, now is all around us, which we live in, um, in effect, turning the world into a global village. But it's been designed to take advantage of the fact that we are fundamentally visual. Uh, that's that's essentially what we are. So I don't think the argument is or the consequences that it's going to damage literacy in any way. I think that we are more effective and liter literate and emotionally sophisticated communicators by virtue of using these visual systems. I mean, it might do it. One thing that it might do is change how we perceive things in terms of attention spans. That's, that's possible. You know, when you look at an old, you, you, a, a classic movie from when you were a kid and you go back, I think, wow, that was slow. Mm. I mean, nothing <laughs> happens for the first... Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. I watched West Side Story the other day and couldn't believe there was like a 17-minute lead-in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I started watching, for, for some bizarre reason, the other day, the old Beatles movie, Help, from 1965. Mm. I... And for about the first 10 minutes, there's this monotonous conversation between John Lennon and Ringo Starr where they're waking up at the beginning and nothing happens. And I think, oh, I couldn't watch that anymore. And of course, now we expect movies to be completely different. And this has to do with culture and to, and to do with tastes and, and, and all the rest of it mm. and another range of complex sorts of things. But it's, it's not that we're becoming mm -hmm. somehow more visual. We're becoming more effective communicators by incorporating visual forms of communication in the technology that is primarily and fundamentally visual itself to begin with. Fascinating. So that's that's what I would say in response that to that. That is amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, that actually brings us perfectly full circle to uh, the first interview in this series with Clive Thompson, who, who writes a lot about that in Smarter Than You Think. Um, uh, and uh, yes, how it's actually it's actually quite complicated to do the to do the LOLs. The, 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 um, that, that, that's a prime example of the kind of abbreviated text I was referring to that the, that uh, some academics were concerned was were, were uh, making children illiterate. And of course, you have to know what LOL stands for to be able to use the abbreviated form. So that's a good example of that. Mm -hmm. Or to draw, to do fan fiction, you know, to do these tiny, like, little storybooks on tweets and stuff, or to, you know, to work within those constraints, the same with a haiku. I mean, it's kind of interesting, the blind spots, and also interesting, some of the similar Absolutely. narratives against the arts um, uh, that I run into, you know what I mean? Again, again, this kind of like the serious versus the the frivolous, um, and uh, and even some of the attitudes. Again, even from 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 kids who are who are, it's not a negative attitude. They're just actually sharing that 
they had the most amazing workshop ever, but they didn't, you know, because it wasn't like a normal day of school. And they therefore they they associate that with the narratives of this is not real learning or this is like not the traditional learning. Um, but when you actually dig deeper, you're like, sounds like you learned a lot of traditional literacy learning today, you know. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Viv. Thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having, having me on the show. And thanks to all of those who listened to this and other episodes in this series on new and digital literacies. For more on these related topics, check out our podcast extras from this series. In the meantime, stay creative and do be artists. <laughs>